Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Making Work Fun podcast with Maria and Natasha, two working professionals turned life coaches. I'm Maria, and I have worked in economic consulting for more than 14 years. And I'm Natasha. I have over a decade of work experience in human resources. Through our 25 plus years of combined corporate experience, we have learned a lot about work. And through our work as life coaches, we've learned how to make work fun. Whether you work for someone else, run your own business, or do anything else that you call your work, this podcast will teach you how to make your work fun too. Without giving in to the productivity hustle. So let's dive right in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Making Work Fun podcast. Um, This week we are going to be talking about how to make your work more fun by not creating unpleasant experiences for yourself ahead of time. So what do we mean by that? We we were talking about this and we're sort of talking about these situations in which we have something that's worrying us, something that might happen in the future or might not, but like something that's scary and we're concerned about. And we end up sort of sitting in in our thoughts and mulling it over, thinking that it's going to better prepare us for the actual situation and we're creating anxiety or unpleasantness or fear, all of these emotions that we're trying to avoid in the future, we end up sort of sitting and creating them in the present because for some reason our brains think that we're going to be better prepared and better able to handle it if if and when they do happen in the future. It's so wild how our brains do that, how we think that ruminating and thinking about the worst case scenario is a helpful tactic, but in reality, all it does is it creates that dread and that anxiety and all of that negative emotion for us right now. So it just guarantees that we have that negative experience right now without that scary thing that that we're worried about actually having happened. Yeah, exactly. Like we, we sort of have this framework in our coaching practice that's called the model and we'll, we'll do another episode sometime to, to describe exactly what it is. But usually what happens there is, you know, I'll talk to a client and they'll be like, well, I'm really scared of, you know, my boss saying X, Y, Z. And then we dig down and we're like, okay, but why are you scared? Well, because if they do say that I'm going to feel stressed out or I'm going to really anxious and then they end up creating this whole experience right now I'm like okay but you're feeling that already so you're already at the worst part you know yeah. but it just doesn't it doesn't seem somehow there's like a disconnect there and of course I do that too everyone does that there's a disconnect there between thinking okay the one that I'm creating for myself right now can't possibly be as bad it's going to be much more terrible in the future and right now I'm just practicing <laughs> Yeah, it's almost We're like practicing is helpful. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> But it's actually not helpful, right? Like we think that we're preparing ourselves with the practice anxiety now, but in reality, it's not practice anxiety. It's just all real anxiety. It's not any better or worse than if the situation was to happen and you were to feel that anxiety in the future, right? And like you said, Maria, we all do this. Just so interesting to be aware of it. So then you can start to either train your brain to think differently about the situation and to recognize that all of that like practice anxiety that you're creating in advance isn't actually serving you maybe in the way that you want it to be. Right. It's almost like, you know, how these days there's these virtual reality trainings for things that people like go in and do the training in the virtual reality and then they're prepared for the real world. It's kind of like our brains are convinced that this is what we're doing. We're like, we're doing the practice one <laughs> and then we'll go out and we'll 
is so much better than the real one. <laughs> and, and actually, the reason I said it's actually usually the opposite is because when we're doing the quote-unquote practice one, we usually end up getting stuck in the worst part of it. We don't take into account how we actually react in the real world, which is we our resilience kicks in, our creativity kicks in, our critical thinking kicks in, and we're able to think of solutions and comfort ourselves and think of ways to manage the situation. In our imaginary scenario, we usually ignore all of that and we only picture the emotion and how terrible it's going to be. Totally. Like we forget that we actually have the capacity to work through these difficult situations or these challenging things that we're worried about. Like it kind of makes me think of like an artist who's gone to um, some sort of art fair or farmer's market or whatever, and is like selling their work and they have to deal with all of these people kind of turning them down or commenting negatively on their work. And that might actually feel really scary going into the situation, but when you're in the situation, right, you actually have the resilience and capacity to work through that and to recognize like, okay, that's their opinion. Not everyone needs to like my work or whatever and not make it mean so much about you. Do you think it's just super interesting to consider? Yeah, absolutely. And that I'm glad you brought up the artist example, because that comes in a lot in people who are doing any sort of creative work. They are sort of arguing with their worst critics in advance. And that I think is preventing many people from actually going out and doing the work because they're not thinking about all the people who are going to love it, whose lives it might change, or all the people who will be neutral. They only think about the small portion of the population who are going to hate it. And then once you go to enough of these, you just kind of start to recognize that like some people like it, some people hate it. And it actually has nothing to do with your work and your art itself. It's just other people's opinions and perspectives. And the same piece of art never pleases every single person, right? This is why we have, you know, different people's opinions and perspectives and rankings of things, because not everyone enjoys the exact same piece of thing. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of the same cognitive bias that we have, you know, when we're doing a presentation and, you know, 90 people love it and one person doesn't say something or says something slightly critical and we're like, everyone hated it. No, most people loved it. It's sort of the same experience. We're only like thinking about the one person and we're thinking about it in advance and we're making it so much worse in our head than it actually is. Yeah. And I think part of this is just recognizing that our brain has that negativity bias anyways. That's how it likes to think about things because that's how it thinks it's keeping us safe. Mm. It thinks it's like helping us by dreaming or imagining the worst case scenario might happen and then feeling anxious in advance. It's like, oh no, this is actually helping you. But in reality, it's not. And this is where we need to rely upon, you know, the logical part of our brain or the most thoughtful part of our brain that can actually analyze and you know, look critically at what's going on and decide on purpose, like, hey, I don't need to be super stressed out about this in advance, because even if it was to happen, being stressed out now isn't actually going to serve me because instead of taking like actionable steps to help me deal with that situation, Mm -hmm. all this anxiety now, what it does is it just keeps me like either avoiding it, ruminating, procrastinating, venting to my friends. It's like I'm taking positive action to help myself deal with that future situation. Yeah, for sure. Most of anxiety is literally comes from that source, your brain thinking that it is protecting you in some way and that it's it's helping you in some way. And which is why anxiety is so pervasive. It's like a very human thing for your brain to like part, especially like the part of your brain that comes up with those thoughts is the part that literally has been 
meant to keep you alive. It has evolved to keep you alive and alert and scanning for danger. And it's, it thinks it's doing your service. If there's no physical or actual danger, it's like, okay, but there must be something. So let's scan for it. And then it comes up with a bunch of things. It's like right now, nobody is actually trying to kill us in you know physically, but let's scan for what else could be happening. That's scary. All the know? other like looming dangerous threats that might exist out there. And what's so funny is like, I, before we started this episode, I kind of looked up the definition of unpleasant to see if there was something that would be interesting for us to kind of talk about in relation to this topic. And I thought it was so interesting that the word unpleasant, they used causing discomfort and unhappiness. And I think what we, that's what we do is we cause ourselves that discomfort. We cause ourselves that unhappiness in advance by ruminating on those situations. Like, the situation hasn't even happened. And yet we feel all of that emotional discomfort because of how we're thinking about it, which is just so wild to consider that that's what our brains want to do. Yeah. And I think it's also important to mention here that dealing with that and learning how to cope with that doesn't mean that your brain is going to stop offering those thoughts. Like there's just no way for your brain to actually stop. It's a matter of changing your relationship with those thoughts as they come up. So I one one example for me has always been, I don't know why, but I've always had like a ton of, I mean, a lot of people I think have a lot of anxiety around travel, but for me, it's a little bit different than the usual anxiety around travel. It's not, I'm not necessarily worried about safety or anything like that. I'm worried about discomfort. So my brain for some reason has decided that if I'm uncomfortable at any point during a trip, like if I get a headache, if I'm not feeling well, this is going to be the end of the world. I wouldn't know how to handle it. It's going to be terrible. So every time before a trip, I like go through all the possible scenarios. I'm like, could I get a headache? Could I get a stomachache? Could I be sleepy? (laughs) And, you know, I'm thinking that I'm preparing myself better. And then every time I am in the trip, even during the times where multiple times it has happened, I've had a headache. It's never quite as bad, of course, as like the anxiety at 3 a.m. when I would wake up and I'm like, oh, I might have a headache during the trip. Like then I'm during the trip, I have the headache. And I'm like, okay, remember how much you were freaking out about this exact thing? It's not that bad. Right? You're like, in the moment, I can handle this. I'm a human. Yes. I can handle having a headache. I've had a headache. I have ibuprofen in my purse. It's going to be fine. But then the next day, my brain does it again. If, like no matter how many times I go through it and I tell myself, okay, see, it wasn't that bad. My brain does it again. But what I've learned to do over the years is sort of change my relationship to those thoughts. I'm like, okay, brain, I know you're trying to protect me. And it is creating a bunch of anxiety in my body right now thinking about this, but I'm just going to like lower the stakes and not, you know, spin out about it and ruminate about it and think that the anxiety itself means something terrible. I'm just going to be like, okay, there's anxiety in my body because my brain is doing the usual pre-travel scan. Of, of dangers it's sort of changing changing your relationship to the thoughts rather than trying to get rid of them completely which i don't think is realistic for many people exactly like we can never go into your brain and delete those sentences or those words from existing but you can shift how you're relating to them right and the way that i like to think about this is it's almost like you start to like rationalize the irrational part of your brain. You're like, okay, I see that this is super irrational and I get it. It's okay that it's here, but this is actually what we're going to do. So you like take charge and control of that situation as opposed to letting that like 
part of your brain that is super illogical and isn't making sense run wild. And then that's all of a sudden <laughs> running the show. So I've heard a teacher use the analogy of it's like a toddler with a knife. If you have a toddler <laughs> with a knife, you're not going to let the toddler with a knife make all the decisions. You're the toddler and you're going yes. to take the knife away from them, <laughs> coach them, guide them. Right. It's not like they're the ones in charge now just because it's a toddler with a knife. Exactly. Like you're not gonna just let them do their thing. You're like, well, you seem to have some valid points. Let's do it. You're gonna be like, you have a lot of power no. now. I guess. First, <laughs> first of all, let me take the knife from you. And second of all, like let's talk through this and calm, calm down. Exactly. Right. You exactly. kind of coach them and calm it down, as opposed to just being like, well, I'm helpless in this situation. There's nothing I can do now. Exactly. Or the other like example I was just thinking about is like, what if you have like a really energetic puppy that's not like super trained and is throwing a fit in your place and tearing things apart it's the difference between you throwing a fit alongside with it and starting to tear your own furniture versus being like okay that's what puppies do let's see how to (laughs) calm down its nervous system take care of it (laughs) yes that's such a good example you're not going to start like chewing on your own shoes (laughs) this seems reasonable so let's jump right in let's just get into what they're doing whatever they're doing seems like it's the good thing to be doing and that's what I think what's so what can be so powerful is when you start to bring some lightheartedness into those thoughts and you don't take them so seriously and you can just like laugh and bring joy into them and see them for what they are just like sometimes silly sentences in your brain your brain has just been conditioned to believe but just because your brain is offering it to you doesn't mean that it has to be true and that we have to engage with it in a serious way (laughs) my husband and I he's not a coach but he might as well be because he's like a very wise person and also he's heard enough about coaching from me that at this point he like uses the lingo (laughs) to do this but we always laugh like when I have some of those thoughts I'm like oh okay like this is what's happening again he's like oh it's original programming I'm like yeah my brain's original (laughs) programming that's that's kicking in (laughs) exactly right it's not OG programming doesn't mean it's like the legitimate or the right one like sometimes our ideas change our programming changes exactly but like yeah it's two days before a trip and my brain's freaking out that I might have a headache it's original programming that's that's what it's doing (laughs) I love to call it my common denominator I just feel like I've lived through enough scenarios sometimes in my life where I'm like oh yeah I'm the common denominator (laughs) here here I go again doing the exact same thing that I always do or those showing up in the same ways that I think of course my brain wants to do this it's just being the common denominator in all of my life problems (laughs) so good so I think we were chatting about this before we started recording we were also going to talk a little bit about um the happiness factor and the letdown of negative emotions so do you want to kind of talk a little bit about that Maria yeah absolutely so the other thing that our brains do and that we think it logic if you talk about it logically it even might make sense on paper except that that's not how it plays out in practice is that we have this idea that if we do let ourselves experience some positive emotions let ourselves you know process some happiness get really excited about something then the letdown would be too big whenever the next unpleasant thing happens because as we know life is about like both pleasant and unpleasant things happening so it's always a guarantee that there's going to be a next thing on both sides (laughs) but our brains sort of think about it in this way of like well if I get super excited about let's say in the context of work you let's say you just did a super good job on something 
our brains think, okay, but if I feel super proud of myself and excited, then the next time I get some constructive feedback, it's going to be too much of a letdown. So what about I criticize myself now to be prepared for the future? So then it's not that big of a letdown. But of course, what happens there is you keep yourself in perpetual criticism, thinking that this is somehow better (laughs) than sometimes experiencing positive emotions. And you don't sort of, again, you don't see your own resilience and your own capacity to actually handle even the letdown. I mean, sure, it could be disappointing sometimes if you did something great and then the next time it didn't turn out quite so great, whatever the criteria is. (laughs) That could be disappointing, but it's a matter of sort of being able to be there for yourself through the disappointment as opposed to protecting yourself from it in quotation marks. (laughs) Uh, And not causing yourself, right? It goes back to that word of causing, causing yourself that discomfort and pain in advance because you're like, well, I don't want to experience the transition from being happy and excited to feeling disappointment and sad and frustration. Right. Mm -hmm. So you almost like forebode the joy of those moments. And then you just, like you said, keep yourself in perpetual negativity instead of experiencing the different, you know, the various emotions that life has to offer and the whole range and scale of them. Right. And when you think about it, is it actually better to take away those moments of happiness or excitement about something because you don't want to experience the transition from excitement to disappointment? And then is it better to just generate more disappointment ahead of time or all the time instead of giving yourself those moments of excitement when that is truly what you feel and what's available to you and and how you want to think and feel about a situation? Yeah. And disappointment is just another one of the human emotions. It's not necessarily more that much worse, that much better. It's just another one of the emotions that we feel as humans. So there's no way you're going to prevent yourself from feeling it. And as Natasha said, sometimes we just generate it in advance. So we're feeling it in any case. (laughs) We're just like blocking ourselves from all the other emotions that are available to us, like the joy and the, the pride. Exactly. And I think we're going to have another podcast episode where we kind of talk about those things, but it's just something to consider that like when you, part of the work is also stepping into the capacity to feel disappointment and allow that to exist in your body without having to control it and having it be like, well, I just will create disappointment in advance or ahead of time because it's too uncomfortable for me to have happen when it just spontaneously happens based on a situation that I didn't want in that exact way to show up kind of thing. Right. And I think the other part of it, the opposite part of that spectrum is that it's also about learning how to have the capacity to feel happiness and excitement. Cause sometimes those positive emotions, if we aren't practiced in them can actually feel really uncomfortable in our bodies to experience. And so we need to learn to develop the skill set of allowing happiness to exist while it exists without the attachment to like needing it to be there all the time. Right. Yeah, when you like get into that deeper emotional work, you realize how similar the sensations actually are of very positive and very negative emotions in your body. Like if you only focus on the sensation in your body, both can feel like a lot of fast energy moving through your body, like a lot of a little bit of overwhelm there. Um, And it's a matter of sort of learning how to process the emotions on both sides and being able to accept emotions on both sides and realizing they're not, neither of those are going to hurt you. Some might feel better and some might feel a little worse, but it's not something that is actually going to 
physically hurt you, um, especially if you learn how to be there for yourself and, and process and manage it. Exactly. And we'll go into a bit more detail on another episode talking about processing emotions, but this is just a start to get you to think about like those sensations and how you're relating to the relationship of your emotions in your own body. And it's such a good point, Maria, that you brought up that sometimes the positive and the negative feel similar. So I know for myself, I would say that anxiety and, or sorry, nervousness and excitement actually feel really similar in my body. And so it all depends on how I'm labeling it. If I, my experiences totally change if I'm calling it excitement or if I'm calling it nervousness, right? And so part of the work is learning to maybe differentiate or recognize that that's happening and also capacity to like allow and feel those sensations without trying to control it. Cause usually when we try to control them, that's when we kind of cause ourselves more discomfort or more unpleasant experience. Yeah, absolutely. Neither one of those is bad and neither one of those is really scary. Once you sort of learn how to, to sit with them. Um, and so there is no need to try to suppress one, which is suppressing the positive, or to try to sort of preemptively prepare yourself in this like virtual reality type of way for for the other. Um, yeah, and that's, yeah, that's just gonna make that's just gonna make your experience at work so much easier if you if you realize that you don't need to constantly be scanning for danger. You are gonna be able to handle it if something unpleasant happens. Um, and you can allow yourself some joy and some pleasantness. Exactly. I think just the whole thing that we wanted to get across in this podcast episode and get you thinking about was just that, um, you know, there might be unpleasant experiences that do happen, but even though they might happen from time to time, we don't have to actually go about creating them in advance and just getting you thinking about how the creation of them in advance maybe actually doesn't serve you and doesn't help you work through it. And you might actually be more resilient than you're giving yourself credit for. So let's let like life unfold as it happens and allow yourself to like fit into whatever emotional experience you're having in that moment, whether it's happy or, you know, maybe a more negative emotion without adding additional like negative fuel to the fire or creating more unpleasant experiences. Exactly. Well, that's everything for our episode for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you again next week, everyone. Take care. Bye. Hey everyone, it's Maria. I am a burnout coach for professional women and I work with high achieving perfectionists who want to heal burnout so that they can take a step back and enjoy their lives without sacrificing their success. To work with me one-on-one, you can go to my website, which is restovergrind.com and book a free consult call. You can also follow me on Instagram at rest underscore over underscore grind or on LinkedIn under restovergrind LLC. Hey everyone, Natasha here. I'm a money mindset coach. I work with women who want to shift their beliefs around money and wealth they can finally leave the drama behind and focus on actually doing the work they love to do. I work with two different types of clients, employees who want to make more money at work or entrepreneurs who want to earn more in their business. And I teach people how to love the process of earning and creating more because it really is possible for money to be easy and fun. So let me show you how. You can find me on my website at natashatakesti.com or on Instagram at natashatakesti. We'll see you there.